Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Hope everybody's doing well today. This is the very last split service that we have, God willing. Um, and, uh, you know, Josh made sure that I preached at the split service because I tend to run long, so he wanted to give me a cutoff time at the 3 o'clock. <laughs> you guys don't get one, sorry. Uh, but uh, I was also doing a little research, and um, so I was looking back at every sermon um, that our church has done, at least I was looking back until I could find one that was preached by someone without a beard or facial hair. And you have to go all the way back to 364 days ago. It was actually June 28th, 2020. Uh, it was it just so happened to be uh, a very famous best-selling author who was uh, preaching to our congregation by, uh, by video. And so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm in good company there uh, with with the the lack of beard. But I snuck that in on Josh because I didn't shave for a while. Um, and then all of a sudden, after I saw him on Wednesday, then I shaved just to make sure that he didn't like yank away the the preaching because I didn't have a beard or something like that. Uh, but uh, now that I've told all of my bad jokes for the day, let's pray and then... Uh, that's because all the rest of them are good, not because I'm done telling jokes. Okay. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for, uh, for you. We thank you for your steadfast love and all the things that we sang about, that they're true, and the words that were read that are true. And we pray that our hearts can be uh, just engaged with your word and that your spirit would descend and just bring... Uh, wisdom and discernment and uh, just unite our hearts to you more and more today. Amen. 
So as Josh Fenska preached last week, we're starting a series on 1 Thessalonians that'll go throughout the summer talking about the basics of Christianity. Um, So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing while they're on the mission field to a relatively new church. It's a multi-ethnic Christian church in a very pluralistic urban center. Uh, so for us, that's pretty important because we tend to live in a pluralistic urban center. Uh, so that's something that should immediately be applicable to us. It should sound familiar. And we saw last week from Acts 17, the start of the Thessalonian church and how that can teach us about basic Christian mission. So um, two things real quick before we get into what we're talking about today. Uh, Paul's writing a letter to actual humans. And that's something that we can often forget as we're reading the scripture. Sometimes we think that it's just some kind of theological treatise or anything, but he's writing an actual letter to actual humans. Um, And he can probably picture people's faces and stories as he's writing this stuff. And so I think that's really important for us to remember because uh, we also have stories and we have faces. And as God's speaking to us through his word, God can see our faces and our stories. Uh, and so that the stuff that applies to the Thessalonians may not apply perfectly in the exact same ways to us, but there's much application that can be had. Um, and just like we have real lives. You know, I, I'm a math teacher. I spent most of my adult life coaching high school basketball. I'm a parent. I'm a husband. Like all those things are things that are true about me and the gospel, the good news that's in scripture affects those things. It's not just stuff that affects my spiritual life. It affects all of my life, like all of my life, everything that I do and that I'm a part of, the gospel should affect. And that's true for you. It's true for you and it's true for our church. Um, Our church and our time and our place and the specific hardships and cultural things that are going on. Um, what God says in his word, uh, a lot of that is very relevant. Well, all of it is very relevant for us. Um, And so then after Paul greets the Thessalonians in verse 1, verses 2 through 10 is kind of an extended thanksgiving to God for the Thessalonians. And this is something that Paul does in a lot of his letters, not all of them, but in most of his letters he writes a greeting, and then he gives thanks to God for the people he's writing to. And that's an important thing to think about. If Paul thinks it's important to put in almost all of his letters, we should probably think it's pretty important to focus in on and narrow in on. Um, So we're going to discuss basic Christian gratefulness today. And Uh, That is where there is the full expectation for the next two out, 40 minutes, 35 minutes, where I tell you that you ought to be more grateful and then give you a few tips on how to do that. And Paul's telling us to be more grateful. And I personally think that that's important, and I think that Paul thinks it's important, Uh, But he thinks it's important in 
First Thessalonians 5. Uh, so if we look at First Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, he says stuff like, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. And I would benefit from a sermon about being more grateful and thankful. Um, I probably should have written one. Uh, you know, just 11 days ago, a dear friend in the church asked me how things were going. And my response was, we have ants starting to crawl through a crack right near our window, under the windowsill, and uh, our air conditioner just broke four days ago. And it's been 90 degrees every day since. And it, it, that was how I started my conversation with my dear friend. Uh, there was no mention of the walk to the park I had with my wife and daughter that day. And we spent an hour playing at the park. There was no mention of uh, the excitement of the upcoming trip to my wife's relative's house and then the that I would spend like three days with my mom and dad in the week after that. No mention of how God has been increasing my patience over the last uh, year with a daughter and specifically four months since I resigned from my basketball coaching position or how he's reorienting my identity more around him. Uh, just the bugs and the heat. That's That's what came to mind. But being more grateful isn't the theme of the passage today. The main, central, primary theme of this passage is that Paul thinks it's necessary to give thanks to God for these people. Not that we ought to be more grateful, even though that's important. Let's look at this from the perspective of the Thessalonian church. They're new at this church thing. Paul wrote it to them probably within the first year of him starting the church and then leaving. And Paul sent Timothy back to check on him. Before that, if you read chapters 2 and 3, he didn't even know if they had abandoned the faith at this point before Timothy went and came back. And they're definitely not a perfect church. You look at chapters 4 and 5 and you see things that Paul has to kind of remind them of in terms of the way that they live. He has to correct some of their doctrinal thinking. There's stuff that's happening in this church that makes it clear that it's not perfect. But the biggest point in this passage is that Paul is grateful for this imperfect church full of imperfect people. There is reason to praise God for a real-life body of real human believers. So even though the church is imperfect, the church is worthy of affirmation. And the question that we're going to ask ourselves today is, since we also are an imperfect church full of imperfect people, what does God find worthy of affirmation in us today. Let's go through five reasons for gratefulness in an imperfect church. First of all, Christian character. God finds solid 
growing Christian character to be worthy of affirmation. Let's read verse 3. Remember before our God, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul's remembering in his prayers. He's remembering their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. We probably could have done an entire message on just this passage, um, but I get about three minutes, so here we go. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. You see this stuff all over the Bible, particularly in the epistles. Um, These are three elements that are defining Christian character, and they're worthy of gratefulness to God, even in an imperfect church. So a Christian church that has faith in God, that exemplifies the love of God, and has hope in the promises of God, will certainly produce much fruit. Certainly produce much fruit. And let's spend a little bit of time noticing the words that are paired together. So if we look at faith, it's paired with work of faith. So let's unpack that a little bit. So if there's true faith, that's going to result in stuff happening. When you believe the gospel and believe what God says is true, it changes you. That's faith at work. And this change can show up in a variety of different ways. We see it in a church that has kids and teens being discipled in the love of God. People being welcomed at the door. Um, People being prayed for in your community group or here at church or just when someone's walking or running throughout the week and they're praying for you. Um, Investing in people's lives at Wayside Cross and World Relief. Just committing and showing up to your community group or to a Sunday service. And I could go on for a while. Uh, Labor of love. If there's a true love, that'll result in stuff happening. Loving others is hard work, but it's a good labor. There's sacrifice in it, but it's good. And it looks like people helping others while they're moving houses, offering meals when people have new children or they have an illness. Um, community groups investing in each other's lives. I could go on and on. And I know that my family has personally benefited from a lot of this. When we had our daughter, we got... I can't even count how many meals for like seven. Uh, There's two of us and an infant and there's just like lasagna pans that are this big that are just coming to our door. Um, I think we might still have some of it in the freezer. (laughs) But but it's just incredible how much the church of God cares for each other. Steadfastness of hope. If there's true hope, it will result in stuff happening. True hope lasts. It abides. It's only found in Jesus. 
And it's only found when you understand things in light of eternity. And if you understand that life goes on forever, that looks like a church or individuals in the church that are focused on things that last longer than the current political or cultural climate. In a culture that encourages hostility and choosing sides, that looks like a church that chooses the side of the cross. Choosing to exhibit faith and love because we have a hope that goes beyond whoever the president or the governor is or what laws are passed or what the Supreme Court decides or what makes us mad on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. All those are going to pass away. But we serve the true king who reigns forever. We're a church that's imperfect, even at these things that I just said, even at the Christian character, the faith, the hope, the love. But I can testify that I've seen this stuff happen in our church. I'm sure if you look at the person next to you, person a few pews away, they can testify to many of the same things. So I want to encourage you, Redeemer Community Church, faithful church of the living God, that your faith and love and hope are worthy of gratefulness to God. Just as Paul is grateful for it in the Thessalonians, others are grateful for what God is doing and working in you and your character. This theme plays out in a few other things. So with Christian character also comes Christian life. As you grow in faith, hope, and love, you'll see the Christian life abound and grow. Verses 4 and the first part of 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So I want to talk a little bit about encouragement because, you know, we're talking about gratefulness and encouragement and stuff. Perhaps the greatest encouragement to imperfect people in an imperfect church is the truth that you, Christian, are loved and chosen by God. There is tremendous security for God's people in God's family because you are loved and chosen by God. I'll just throw a couple things on the board. Psalm 16, 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Just think about what that means with uh, the lines have fallen. That's like talking about uh, the way that they used to divide property or the way that they divided property um, among who would end up getting what. And what this is saying that is if you are loved and chosen by God, you get the good part of the property. You get the one that you know has the it has the nice fertile soil or in modern terms you have uh, the big backyard where the kids can run and play. Um, that's what you get as a Christian. That's what happens when you're loved and chosen by God. Romans eight twenty eight. 
31 through 34. Um, so I'm skipping a couple in the middle just for time, but Romans 8, 28. And we know that, though, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And entire sermons are written about just one verse out of what I just read. But just think about what, what stuff is being said here. Um, I skipped a part where it says you have no more condemnation. Um, you have everything working together for your good, Christian. No one can bring any charges against you. You have been justified. You have the Holy Son of God interceding for you. Church, you're loved and chosen by God. Um, this can be seen in how we respond to the gospel. You know, and let's just briefly take a sidetrack um, real quick because I think this is important. Um, I have a I have an 11 month old at home now, and I see new meaning to um, like when Jesus was talking about how uh, there are crumbs and like the dogs get the crumbs and stuff because. Uh, well, every time she eats, there's just this like Hiroshima around uh, around the little high chair that she sits in. And so my dad told me I should probably invest in getting a dog just to clean those scraps up. If you're a Christian, you don't just sneak in the back door. You don't just get the scraps that fall from when people eat and it just kind of goes. You're invited to the table. You're invited to sit in the family dinner with a holy God. So this can be seen in how we respond to the gospel. People with Christian character, faith, love, and hope will respond to the gospel in word so now we're kind of back to the passage. In word, so that means truth, good doctrine. But that's not all. They respond in power. So there's powerful testimonies of lives being changed and transformed, and there's powerful witness, and there's probably powerful preaching and lots of you know, power that's going on. Uh, they respond with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is gifting this church. Um, providing gifts to people. Uh, people are being led by the Spirit. People are leading them in the power of the Spirit. Uh, there's the presence of God in their uh, church gatherings and just in the way that they go throughout their lives. And there's conviction. So that means believing the gospel to their core, to the deepest part of them, not just uh, kind of saying it, but they believe the, the gospel in conviction. They are convinced that it's true and it's affecting how they live. 
This is what the gospel did in Thessalonica, and I think it's important that we realize that that's happening here too. Uh, what True things are said in the pulpit. Lives are being changed and transformed. I've been here about five years, and I think there have been about 30 baptisms since I've been here. And that might be an underestimate. Lives are being changed, transformed. Uh, people are being open and honest about their lives and their fellowship groups and uh, in youth group when I get a chance to go and be in the small groups there. And uh, we've been doing a lot of young adult stuff, my wife and I, over the last year. Lots and lots of people opening up about things in their lives. Uh, church, we can be encouraged and affirmed by God's presence in our response to the gospel. Third, Christian perseverance. <clears throat> so Christian character produces Christian life, and it also produces Christian perseverance. So let's read verses 5b and 6. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. People who have good Christian character will persevere through difficulty and trial. There's severe hardship for Thessalonica in this congregation, and we kind of saw that last week when Josh went through it with us. There was a lot of persecution. Um, there was much affliction, and there was a struggle ever since the beginning of this church in uh, kind of navigating how to deal with a culture that didn't really like them there. But with the persecution and trial surrounding them, Paul says that they received the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There's something that's really powerful about the Holy Spirit producing joy and gratefulness even in the midst of a lot of suffering and persecution. There's a lot of sorrow that comes with it. There's a lot of difficulty. It's not all uh, running through a bed of roses. But there's joy that comes in knowing and receiving the word that, that you realize as a believer in Jesus. Because even though the hardship is real, it is temporary. It's something that does not last forever. But as we know, when you receive the word of the Lord, that does last forever. That's eternal. And this also is evident in many people in church, our local church as well. I'm thinking of a friend who was sharing details about some stuff going on in his life a few weeks ago to me, and the voice that he was speaking was echoing the pain that was going on in his heart. But what he was doing was he was talking about it and talking about just the, the real sorrow that he was experiencing and a lot of different things. But he was also speaking of the good that God had promised. And he quoted Romans 8.28 and saying things like, God is working good in this for me. <clears throat> this friend was letting the word of God speak louder than his circumstances. This friend was persevering in the midst of trial. And we can praise God for the perseverance that the Holy Spirit is bringing to actual, real people with real faces that 
I can see as I look out there. And that you can see as you go to your fellowship groups and as you look around. These stories are not from 2,000 years ago. I just relate a story from two weeks ago. We can be grateful that God is doing that in our church. And interestingly, Paul's logic for Christian perseverance actually starts with a story, a personal story. He speaks of how him and his team lived amongst the Thessalonians. You saw how we lived. And then what happened? The Thessalonians imitated Paul and his missionary team. Uh, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. This recalls in my mind the story about one of my former basketball players. So I was... uh, coaching someone who was a really good shooter. He's one of the best players I've ever coached. Really good shooter. Really bad at believing he was a good shooter. Just struggled with confidence. So I told him a story about a player in the NBA, a professional basketball player, who was also a really good shooter. And in the first half, he shot 0 for 9. And he was getting interviewed at halftime by one of the interviewers who always ask really good questions and make the athletes feel really good about themselves. uh, She said, so you started this half 0 for 9. What are you thinking about going into the second half? And that athlete said, well, I'm a 50% shooter. I didn't make one in the first half. I'm not going to miss one in the second half. That athlete had confidence. They believed that the law of averages was going to work in their favor because they were really good. (laughs) And there's no way they're going to be 0 for the game. They're going to keep making it in the second half. And sure enough, that athlete made a lot of shots in the second half. Uh, But why did I share that with my athlete? I shared that because he was struggling with confidence. He was a good shooter, but was struggling. So what did I do? I pointed him to imitate someone else who had confidence. And I'm not sure that we in the body of Christ think about imitation often enough. Paul thought about it a lot. He asked the Corinthians to be imitators of him as he imitated Jesus Christ. Much of Christian character and life and perseverance is predicated on modeling what other people who have the word are doing. This chain of imitation in this passage went from Jesus to Paul to the Thessalonians. And somehow, over many centuries, it's gone from Jesus to Paul or Peter or someone to someone else to someone else to someone else to someone else. To you. We can see Christian perseverance in other people's lives, and that's something that's worthy of imitation. So when I have another trial, it would be good for me to think of my friend who was letting the word of God speak louder than his circumstances and imitate that sort of faith 
in perseverance. Number four, Christian witness. Let's read verses six through nine. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The Christian church worthy of affirmation also displays Christian witness. So at the last bullet point, we were talking about this chain of imitation from Jesus to Paul to the Thessalonians. But notice the chain of imitation did not stop at Thessalonica. Paul and his team imitated Jesus. The Thessalonians imitated Paul and his team. And then what happened? The Thessalonians became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The chain of imitation moves on. How beautifully it proceeds, too. Look at how Paul describes it. The word of God sounded forth from you. You just get this visual of some kind of symphony that's pleasant and going forward and blasting out from the Thessalonians to all the nearby areas. Uh, Josh had a map on the screen last week, and I wasn't smart enough to tell him to put it up again. But when you look at Thessalonica, it's a city inside of Macedonia. And then Achaia is the region right next door. So for us to understand what is happening here, I'll just kind of translate it into what would happen if Paul was writing that to us. And you, Redeemer Community Church, the gospel is sounding forth from you to all of Illinois and Indiana. That's kind of the image you're getting. It's not just two little neighboring cities. It's like it's sounding forth and blasting out. Um, not only that, but the faith of the Thessalonians has gone forth everywhere. Um, sharing the gospel is necessary, but believing and living and trusting in that gospel affects how we live, and that also goes forth. And that's something that uh, gets shared by these other neighboring places to Paul, and he reports it to the Thessalonians. And that's worthy of affirmation according to God's word. That's something that is worthy of affirmation in a church. So as we think as our church um, of the witness that is being proclaimed from us, there's certainly many things that can improve and we're an imperfect church with imperfect people. But there is gospel witness that is being sounded forth and new people are coming in like I said, there have been 30 baptisms about in the last five years since I've been here. There's plenty of reason to be excited about the gospel witness that is bearing much fruit from our church. Uh, and I also don't want us to miss this part. The Macedonians and the Achaeans report that Thessalonian people turned from idols to serve the living and true God. 
let's just kind of think about this for a second. How often do we think that others are irredeemable? Or that parts of us are irredeemable? Current American culture is very good at taking sides, considering people on the other side to be wrong. Um, we know how to condemn in our society. Someone's wrong, they're shunned or canceled or something like that. There's no real concept of grace. Praise God that that's not how he works. Praise God that our faith is one that believes in the power of God and that the Thessalonians could turn from idols to God. They could change course. They could be forgiven. Praise God for that. Now they can stand, as Paul is writing, as affirmed, and that Paul can be grateful for them. The same is true for us, and the same is true for those that are around us out in the community. There's no irredeemable person as long as Jesus' blood counts. So, according to God, imperfect churches are worthy of affirmation for displaying Christian character, perseverance, life, and witness. And I'm grateful to partner with all of you in all these things. Um, but there's one final reason that God finds imperfect people in an imperfect church to be worthy of affirmation and gratefulness, and that is Christ himself. Let's finish by reading verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come is a theme that kind of goes throughout the letter, so I'll unpack it for a minute. Anyone who's experienced real wrong knows that it doesn't just go away. There's a price for serious sin and serious wrong that affects actual humans. Uh, I was in Croatia for a basketball camp about 10 years ago uh, through a church mission, and uh, there were a lot of people I met that were in the Yugoslav Wars. So there was a war for independence in that part of the world. And there were a lot of real atrocities and real serious evil that happened to real people over there. And their lives will never be the same their families will never be the same because of serious sins that happened to them, happened to their families. There's real pain and real sadness, and real evil that occurs because people have rebelled against a sinless God and they've rebelled against other people. And all of us have experienced this at varying levels, whether somebody's manipulating you at work or um, somebody says mean things to your child, or lots of different things. There are real hurts that just don't go away. And if we're thinking about it and being fully transparent with ourselves, we realize that we've done that to other people too. And it's not just them out there, it's me and you. We've all done this. We've caused real hurt to others, and it affects people. And since we serve a loving God, he can't just sit by and let that go unpunished. Uh, 
If God loves all of us as much as he says he does, he can't let all of that real pain and hurt go unpunished. Um, Nahum 1, 3a and 6, the Lord is slow to anger, praise God, and great in power, praise God, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. All of us deserve this. None of us can turn away that wrath. God is love and he can't excuse evil. Especially the fact that he's a perfect and holy God and we've all disgraced him in some way. That's way more valuable than all the disgrace we do to other people. And actually disgracing other people disgraces him because people are made in his image. But because God is also love, let's read verse 7. So God is love and he can't clear the guilty, but also God is love and the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows who take refuge in him. This is what Jesus does. As Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians, he delivers us from the wrath to come. He delivers us from God's wrath when we take refuge in him. And he will do that for all who take refuge in him, no matter what you've done. One of the key themes throughout this letter to the Thessalonians is the idea that we have hope in the return of Jesus. And this is worthy of praise to God. Churches that have their eyes on on eternity and the return, not returnity, but eyes on eternity and the return return of Christ um, will help us to point to the fact that imperfect people and imperfect churches are worthy of affirmation, but it's not just for our character. It's not just for our life and our perseverance and our witness. Uh, The ultimate affirmation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the one who makes us who we are. This is because we're not people who have hope in this life alone. We have hope in a Christ who is raised from the dead. We have hope in a Christ who is returning. And if we follow Paul's logic, we have a hope in this Christ who is raised from the dead and is returning and delivering us from the wrath to come. So remember the good basketball player that I was talking about who stunk it thinking he was good? Uh, he struggled with confidence in his shot. Well, uh, at the end of his high school basketball career, about a few weeks before he's about to graduate, we're sitting in the school parking lot and we're discussing something that was very frustrating to him. So I had known him for four years. There's a particular struggle that he was kind of struggling with that he had been struggling with for a long time, probably since middle school. And so he was talking to me about it and was kind of opening up his heart to me a little bit and sharing that he hadn't experienced much growth in that particular area of his life. And he was feeling discouraged and feeling like a failure, feeling like someone who uh, was not... um, kind of not lovable 
in that point in that part of his life. He was feeling beat down and like a failure because he couldn't overcome that thing. Now, this young man believed the gospel, but he was struggling in that particular part of his life because of discouragement and just feeling like he was incapable and a failure. And I bet most of us can relate to this. Uh, many of us have probably feel, felt discouraged and like a failure, and, uh, unlovable. I know I can relate to this because for decades, I'm not alive for that long, but decades, well, decades I've been alive for, but not that many decades, but uh, I've been alive for enough decades to know that this has been a struggle for me for decades. Uh, I struggle to control my temper, I struggle with a desire for control. I struggle with selfishness. And I struggle that when I don't get what I want, then I, uh, then I act in anger or uh, unbelief, basically. I struggle with self-condemnation. I know the feeling that my former player was going through. My young friend, fellow brother in the faith player, was feeling discouraged. And I wanted to to just embrace him and help him realize that his struggle was was real. So I, I listened to him and I listened to his struggle. And then I asked him to sit there and think about the trajectory of his life. So I had known him for four years and I asked him to think about how much he had grown and how much he had seen God work in his life. And he could point out a couple things and uh, well, I had seen him for four years, and I could point out some other things that he wasn't really attuned to. And I'm sure that's true for many of you. There's lots of things that you have grown in in your life that you need somebody else to point out. Um, so there's no doubt that God was at work. He pointed out a couple things. I pointed out more. And the trajectory of his life was worthy of affirmation. People were seeing that he was acting in accordance with the gospel and what Jesus was pointing out as true in scripture. Um, my friend was not seeing it, but it was there. Uh, and after we talked, he was able to see that affirmation more clearly and was more motivated as he kind of moved along in his Christian walk. So with my former player, I was able to talk to him about confidence in his shot. That was important. And I was able to talk about his Christian character and life and perseverance and witness and how they were evident in his life. And that was worthy of gratefulness to God. And that was even more important than his shot, even though when I was coaching, I thought his shot was pretty important. But most of all, I could tearfully look into his eyes to my brother in Christ and tell him that the ultimate confidence that he had was not in his shot, wasn't in his character. But it was in the hope he had in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate confidence that he had. He was a man, imperfect, trusting in the perfect son of God. And that hope 
not his shot or his character. But the hope that he had in Jesus was actually the one that was going to save him from the wrath to come. We often get discouraged by the lies of shame and condemnation. But as Paul says in this Thessalonian letter, he's tolerating none of that. He's going to celebrate this church for the good things that are going on in this church. And he says it right at the beginning of the letter. He celebrated them for who they were and the things that are going on in their life, but most importantly for trusting the one who made them who they were. Maybe this is an invitation for you right now to just kind of think a little bit, reflect on Paul's thankfulness to God for the Thessalonian church, and think about how thankful you can be or others might be for the work that's going on in your life. Maybe you can feel the Holy Spirit affirming some good things that are happening in your life that are changing you, making you more into his image. Maybe you can hear the word of God louder than your circumstances and you're persevering in things. And that's praiseworthy. But most importantly, right now you can reflect on the grounding of all of our gratefulness. If you have turned to God and hope in Jesus, and if you wait for his return, your hope is in the only place that truly matters. And that's worthy of gratefulness to God. So God wants us, as imperfect people in an imperfect church, to know that your Christian character, life, perseverance, and witness are worthy of affirmation. But even more so, we're grateful to God, our Redeemer, who is really, truly worthy of all praise and affirmation and is changing us and molding us not only for now, but for the future, for an eternity with him. I'd like to invite those that are serving the Lord's Supper to come forward and 